If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, uh, we're, we're ending this series called Dive Deep. We've been looking at how to dive deeper in the Christian life and, and what, is, what does it mean to dive deeper in the Christian life. And so, so today I, I just want to end this series and I've in, entitled this message called Excellent Offerings. I want to talk to you about some things that maybe, maybe you've never really thought of or maybe you've really never thought of how, how Scripture applies to this or, or what Scripture says about this. But I, I want to talk to you about excellent offerings. And so a lot of times whenever, whenever we say offering in church, people immediately think money. Uh, they're, they're talking about money. They, they like want my money or something like that. And so that, that's not what, what the topic is. The topic is this, is excellent offerings is this, is offering is, is how are you living your life? Um, in, in other words, when you offer excellent offerings to God, it, it, it's how, how do you live your life? Is, is God a priority in your life? Are you giving God your best? Is he a priority in every area of your life? Because really and truly, offerings are something more than just church services. Offerings are, are really what, what Paul tells us, what we're going to learn in, in Genesis chapter 22, is offerings is what we offer to God, is how we live our entire life. And listen, Genesis chapter 22 is, is an interesting chapter because it's a very controversial chapter. Fact is, if you rated it, by, by some uh, uh, estimates, it's like the most controversial chapter in, in all the Old Testament. Uh, J. Vernon McGee would say this about it. He's a theologian. He'd say this. He says, I think Genesis chapter 22 is like one of the top 10 chapters in all the Bible for us to understand because it helps us understand not only the faithfulness of God, but what happens when, when we're obedient to God, even when, even when we don't understand what he's asking us to do. Now, in case you're not familiar with, with Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22 is when, when God tells Abraham, Abraham had a son. His son's name was Isaac. Uh, it was through Isaac that, that many nations were going to be blessed. He was like the promised child and all those other things. And so, so we come to Genesis chapter 22, and all of a sudden God asks uh, Abraham to take his son Isaac, the one you love, and take him up to a mountain and, and sacrifice him there. Now, there's a lot of people, when they're reading through the Old Testament, they get to that chapter, and they're, they're like in shock. I, I, I can't worship a God like that. I, I can't believe God would ever ask someone to do that. And so there's a lot of times that people will start beginning to push back and say, well, that may be the God of the Old Testament. That's not the God of the New Testament. That's not a God I could follow. And so I think it's important for us to understand this. I think it's important for us to understand this story, what this was about, and what God was trying to communicate through this event. In other words, this, it, it, it was a test. It was a test for, for Abraham. Now listen, a test is not for your salvation because salvation is a free gift. But I, I, believe, I believe we go through tests every day. I believe we go through tests every day. Are you going to put God first in that situation? Are you going to give God your best? Or, or are you going to put him first? Are you going to put others first? Are you going to put your dreams first? What, I think we go through a test every day. James 1.12 tells us this about a test. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under a trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So Abraham was one of these guys that persevered under test. He, 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 
he had adversity in his life and he had prosperity in his life. Uh, through prosperity, you, you find that, that Abraham passed this test over and over and over in Scripture. Uh, Abraham had to leave his homeland and go to a place where, where he didn't know where it was. Uh, Abraham had to endure famines and he didn't know when the rain was going to come. He didn't know when relief was going to come. Abraham was separated by his, from his nephew not, uh, Lot that he loved deeply. And he didn't, he didn't know if he would have new friends or new companions and all of those other things. Uh, Abraham was promised a son, Isaac, and, and he had to wait for God to fulfill that, that promise. And so, so Abraham went through adversity, and he did well. And now, all of a sudden, God is blessing him. And so now he has the question, am I going to honor God in my, in my prosperity? Am I going to give God my best in my prosperity? That a lot of times, adversity is easier than prosperity. There's something about prosperity. There's something about success and prosperity, money, and, and all of those other things that if we're not careful, it will dr slowly drag us away from, from, from God. I mean, there, there's Bible characters uh, in, in Scripture. They could handle adversity, but they could not handle prosperity. I mean, you, you, you can look at them, whether, whether it was King David, whether it was King Saul, whether it was King Solomon, and, and like there's many more. So the question for you and for, for me is this, is are we going to give God excellent offerings in every area of our life, especially in prosperity when, when we get that promotion, when, when our name is, is in the headlines, when, when our stock goes up, when our business begins to thrive, when the bank account grows, are we still going to give excellent offerings with, with our entire life and, and our priorities? And uh, will we still put him first? Will we still be generous with our income? Will we still be generous with our time and our spiritual gifts and still serve him? Will we, will we trust him and not ourselves? Because isn't sometimes that's the temptation of success? Isn't that the, sometimes the temptation when you and I get to a certain place that we get kind of good at what we're doing and we don't really feel like we have to trust God? We can just trust ourselves because we already know what to do. And so it's a test for every one of us. And so all of a sudden you look at Abraham and you have to ask yourself when you hear this story, how could Abraham remain faithful in this test and through this? Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 says this, says after these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham and he said here am I so keep in mind listen keep in mind because I, I want to help you journey all the way through Genesis chapter 22 listen I, I've sat in Starbucks with millennials because there's a lot of millennials that will get to this chapter and they they, they don't understand it and, and, and they have a hard time in their relationship with God because of this I want everybody to understand the context and the culture of Genesis chapter 22 God is performing a test for Abraham and he's not going to require him to actually sacrifice his son. And so, and so we're going to journey through this together. And we're going to understand what does it mean to offer your best to God. If you want to give God your best, excellent offerings, then these four things have to be in place. The first one is this. You have to be able to hear God's voice. You have to be able, you have to come to that place to where you hear God's voice. And listen, I'm not talking about an audible voice, okay? I'm talking about where, where, where something happens in your spirit, right? Like when, when you read scripture, that's why we life journal here. That's why, that's why we systematically we read through the Bible personally every year, every one of us, and we life journal here. I cannot tell you how many times in the morning that I've been life journaling, and all of a sudden a scripture just pulls off the page. And it, it just speaks to my situation. It speaks to our situation. Um, and it speaks sometimes to my family. We, we do this as a family, too, because many times we're sharing life journaling ver, ver, uh, verses. And so, so here's the deal about a personal relationship with God. For there to be a personal relationship with someone, with God, 
you got to be able to communicate to them and they communicate to you, right? I mean, that's a personal relationship. And so you have to come to the place to where you just learn the spiritual discipline to where you can read scripture. It's living and active and it speaks into your life to where all of a sudden you're reading that scripture and it's like, it's like, where has this scripture been all of my life? I didn't even, I didn't even, it just speaks to the situation. And so that was Abraham. Abraham was able to hear God's uh, voice. Uh, Verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I, will tell, I shall tell you. Now, it's so important in Scripture, so, so important in the Old Testament. Do not place yourself over the Scripture trying to read into the Scripture. How about this? Put yourself in the story. How would you respond? How would you respond if all of a sudden you heard God's voice and that's your favorite, that's your one son, that's the son that the promise is going to come, that God has promised you that all nations are going to be be blessed. And all of a sudden you're reading what was going through Abraham's mind when God told him that that he would like him to take Isaac up and sacrifice him. When God had already told him, he he was the promised child. All nations were going to be blessed through them. Listen, let me tell you something. Here's what was going on in the culture. The culture, the context is so important to understand Scripture. And so what was going on in their culture is this. All the other pagan gods of their day, all the other pagan religions of their day, the pagan gods of their day, they required human sacrifice. They required, fact is, many of the pagan gods re- required that your firstborn be sacrificed to, sh- to show your, uh, so that God would, ex- so that pagan God would accept them and love them and all of those other things. And so Abraham heard this, and th- then the phrase, the phrase in verse 1 that says, after these things, it, Abraham and Isaac, uh, Isaac was, 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 was about in his late teens to early 20s. And so Abraham and Isaac had had a long relationship as father and son. They, they had hung out together. They'd watch, they'd watch the Broncos together for you Bronco fans. Uh, they'd watch sports together. They'd played sports together. Maybe Abraham taught him some sports. They had hunted. They'd fished together. They, ta- they had private conversations. Maybe, maybe they teased. Maybe, maybe they talked about girls together and all of those other things. And so all of a sudden they, they have developed this deep, deep relationship. And now God is asking him, God is asking him to, like, sacrifice his son. I mean, can you even imagine that? I, I can't. Listen, it was, it was hard enough for me to give my two daughters away in marriage to some boys, you know? I mean, it was just the most difficult thing for me to, to like, uh, so what? I'm entrusting my daughters to these men. Um, not that they had uh, to men, one, one man uh, for one daughter. I said that plural, like, like, like you say, hey, what is up with that? And so how many men is men? And so it's one daughter, one man. And so, uh, and so it, it was just, it was incredibly hard for me because they're young, especially Brittany. Brittany got married at the age of 19. I'm like, what does she know? And uh, I, 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 I it, it, and her and Corey only dated six months. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I, the second time I met Corey, he's asking me for my daughter's hand in marriage. I'm like, this is nuts. And, and Brittany's telling me things like God's, God confirmed it. God, God's in this. I'm like, yeah, you, you're 19. You don't know. And so, uh, so when, I, when, I did, when I did Brittany's, Brittany's wedding, uh, before I, they, they, 
both Brittany and Corey were up here, and so I says, hey, you know, before, before we continue with this, this, this ceremony, Brittany, I'm going to need my, my charge cards, my checkbook, uh, my car back. That's what I need. And, and then if your car breaks down, you call Corey. So that, that's probably the good part of it. But everything else was unsettling to me. It was just unsettling to me. I mean, I, I remember Brittany's our oldest. Brittany, when, she, when, she, when Brittany was in middle school, uh, we were at a conference in Denver, a Christian conference, and she felt called to go on a short-term mission trip to, uh, to another country. And I, I still remember, I mean, she barely met the age requirement to go. And it wasn't with our church, so it was with a bunch of strangers. And I'm putting her on a plane to a foreign country, uh, entrusting her with these people that I did not know. And, and, and that was hard for me. But see, God is not asking Abraham to send your kid on a mission trip or let your kid move to another state or, or give your kid away in marriage. God is, calling him, God is calling Abraham to take your son and sacrifice him. I mean, this... Man, have you ever just thought about this? When Abraham... So, so the first thing, if you, if you want to give God your best, if you want to give him excellent offerings, the first thing is this. You've you got to hear God's voice. The second thing is this. You've got to obey you got, you got to obey God's instructions. I mean, it's one thing to hear from God. It's one thing to read Scripture. But the next thing, what is your next step? We talk about next steps a lot here at Fellowship of the Rockies. So, so what, is your, what, what, what is your next step? Every one of us has a next step. And so we, we hear from God. We believe. We, we, we obey. And so all of a sudden, verse 3, you see this. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his, his, his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. In other words, it's just like immediate. I mean, God told Abraham to do something. He did it. He did it like immediate. He didn't delay. He didn't do like I probably would have done. Hey, God, could you send me another sign? You know, I, I, I think I misunderstood you. Uh, so how about you tell me again? How about, how about you send me another sign? How about three or four signs? And, and, so, and so you walk through that. But... but that wasn't Abraham. <coughs> Excuse me. Abraham, the next morning, he obeys. And he doesn't even tell his wife. He doesn't tell his wife where he's taking Isaac. Maybe because he is worried that Sarah's wife would try to prevent it and try to stop him. He just simply obeyed. And, and here's the interesting thing. And so, so let's just understand this Old Testament what the New Testament tells us about the Old Testament is this, is that everything that happens in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who would come. Things in the Old Testament are types and shadows of things that are to come. So there's, there's, there's a story here much deeper than, than, than what many of us see. And so this place where he's taken Isaac to, Mount Moriah, was the very place where centuries later that the Christians would build a, te a temple in, in Jerusalem. And they'd build this temple in Jerusalem, and this is where thousands of animal sacrifices would happen to cover the sins of the children of Israel. To cover, listen, Old Testament never took away sin. Old Testament only covered the sin, and they covered the sin through, through, through animal sacrifices. Fact is, if you ever go to Israel, I took a group with me in, in 2007-2008 to Israel. You can actually get close to this rock. They, they know exactly, historians and archaeologists, they know exactly where this rock is. It's in the center of Jerusalem. The only problem is right now, in fact, is it's one of the most contested areas in, in, the, in, the, in the world right now. And so the only problem is, is, is where this rock is, where it's located, is an Islamic mosque is built over this rock. 
So as a Christian, you, you cannot get to this place, but you, you really can. And so you, do, you get a guide. And so if you understand how the city was built over thousands of years, and there's layers upon layers that just build over the city. And so you go in these underground tunnels, and you go through these underground tunnels, and you come under, you come under this Islamic mosque, and, you, and it opens up into this big cavern, and there's this rock. And many believe that's the rock. That's under the rock. That's part of the rock where Abraham took Isaac. I mean, this has so much meaning for believers and see context and the culture is so important because what, what I told you what was happening, all the pagan gods were requiring their people, their followers to, to, to sacrifice, to show their love and devotion to God by sacrificing a child. And so Abraham was in a culture that was surrounded by evil gods and these these pagan gods required all kinds of things of people to show their devotion. And so this would not, in their culture, been an unusual request. But, he, but here's what was happening. God was showing Abraham, and God was showing in their culture and in their context, God was showing Abraham that he's, he's Yahweh. And he's not just like any other God, that, that he is Lord. And God has something to say to Abraham, and he has something to say to us in our context, to where, where God was communicating to Abraham that I'm not like the gods of this world. I'm not like the pagan gods that would allow you to do this. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am the one that will uh, provide the sacrifice. I mean, this, this whole story is a precursor of, of, of Jesus Christ and the coming of Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we understand to be able just to hear from God and then to obey him and not just part of it, I mean, there wasn't partial obedience with, with Abraham. I mean, it was complete obedience, verse 4, on, on the third day. So I don't even, we, we don't have time, but, but I want to give you this. This is just for free. How's that? Um, that was a joke. Uh, you, guys, you guys may have had too much turkey. Uh, I, I, saw, I saw a statistic that said the average person on Thanksgiving consumed uh, 4,000 calories. That's a lot. And you know it has to be true because I read it on the internet, right? Um, <laughs> and so, so, okay, so real quick. So it says on the third day. How long was Jesus Christ in the, in the tomb? Three days. He rose on the third day. Are you tracking now? This is a type and shadow. This is a precursor of what is to come. That just as God provided a sacrifice... For Isaac, for Abraham, he's going to provide a sacrifice for us. And on the third day, he'll rise again. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So now, so now you get a glimpse into Abraham's thought process. I mean, did, did, you, did you catch that? Abraham tell, tells the servants that I and the boy were going to go up here and worship, and guess what? We're both coming back. I don't know how God's going to do this. I just know God has called me to take Abraham up there and worship, and here's the deal. You guys wait here because both of us, both of us are coming back. See, normally when we think of worship, we think of worship as only like something we do in church, like we sing some songs and we express our, our love and devotion to Him. It's, it's taking an offering, it's, 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 it's observing communion, it's responding, it's, it's listening to a sermon. But listen, let me tell you something, worship at its purest form is much larger than that. 
worship in its purest form is learning to offer excellent offerings to God, to give God your best in every area of your life. In other words, it's offering excellent offerings in everything. What's in the home, how, how you're a husband or how you're a wife, whether it's in, where it's in the, the corporate world or, or the job site, it's, it's, whether it's how you do your job, do you realize your job is part of your excellent offering when you give God your best? That's why Colossians 3.23 and, and, and verse 24 says that you do, your, you do your job not as if unto men, but unto the Lord. For it is the Lord who rewards you, not men. Do you realize even if you're working for a non-Christian secular company that you, that is part of your ministry? You are offering that to, to, to the Lord and it is the Lord who blesses you and not men. It's, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your neighborhood. That's what Paul said in Romans 12, 1. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Excellent offerings is when you offer your very best to God, not perfection. None of us can do perfection, right? It's when you, your best. And that's why Abraham said, I am the boy are going to go over here and worship in both of us. Both of us are going to come back. Hebrews eleven seventeen says this about Abraham in this moment. He said, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Can I just tell you this? When you face impossible situations in your life, you do not focus on what you cannot do. You focus on what God can do. When you, when you face, let me just tell you, and you know what we're walking through with, with our daughter with a brain tumor and two brain surgeries and, and everything else. When you face impossible situations in your life, you don't focus on your limitations. You do not focus on what you cannot do. You focus on what God can do. If you focus on your limitations, if you focus on what you cannot do, you'll never move forward. You will never give excellent offerings. You will never step forward at all. And you come to that place. To, isn't that what we're doing as a church? I mean, three years ago, we bought this land. We paid cash for this land. We're raising money. And we'll celebrate that on December the 10th and 11th. And, and, but, but we knew this is, all, this is bigger than any one of us, right? And so we've always had the thing that, you know what? God's going to make a way. We're not going to focus on our limitations. We're not going to focus on what we cannot do. God has a plan. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to be obedient. And we're going to give excellent offerings and we're going to trust God to do what only God can do. And the same is true in your life. You just come to that place. I find so many times when people end up in hopeless situations or difficult situations that what brings them into a spiral of defeat is a focus on their limitations. The third thing is this. If you're going to give God your best, if you're going to give him uh, excellent offerings, the third thing is this, is you've got to learn to give God your best. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about in your context, in your ability, what is your best? What, is, what does that look like? And you give God your best. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, 
the fire and the knife, so they both went so so they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I'm here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where where's the lamb? Where's the burnt offering? It's, it's just interesting. There's so many types and shadows in the story. There's so many things about Jesus Christ. But can I just stop and just tell you, remember when, when Jesus Christ would go to the cross, go to Calvary, he carried his wood. He carried his cross. So Isaac is familiar with worship. Isaac's like, Dad, everything's here. The wood's here. The place is here. And, and, and I know that we offer a sacrifice. Where, where's the animal sacrifice? In other words, Abraham had worshipped with his family. Abraham had worshipped with his son. In other words, Abraham and his home, they talked about faith. They talked about following God. They talked about what it means to worship him, what it means to, to have him be a priority in, in, in your life. I mean, the, the, Six times in this passage, the phrase burnt offering is used. Burnt offering is a picture in the Old Testament of total and complete surrender. That I'm totally and completely committed and surrendered to him. And God had blessed Abraham greatly in his life. And he is like passing his faith on to his family, to his relationships, because he, he understands. He understands what it means to offer God your best in every area. That God is, God is a priority. God's a priority. The last thing is this. If you're going to offer excellent offerings, the last thing is this. You have to trust God's plan. You have to trust God's plan when you don't even understand it. That, that was Abraham. Abraham was trusting God's plan when he, did, he didn't even get it. He didn't even understand. He just reasoned that, that you know what? God's going God's to do something. Verse 8. And so Abraham, still talking to his son, said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So, so right there, Abraham is trusting God. Abraham is not trusting himself. Son, we're going to figure it out. Son, we're going to take care of this. Abraham is like pointing him back to God and says, Son, God, God's going to work it out. So they went, both of them, together. Can you imagine Abraham at this point, point choking back tears, wondering how is God going to take care of this? How is God going to resolve this issue? How is he going to provide a way of escape? Verse 9, And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now keep in mind, Isaac at this point, late teens, early 20s, Abraham at this point is well over 100 years old. Isaac could have overtaken his dad. There's two worshipers in the story. Please don't miss that. There are two worshipers. Uh, Isaac laid down willingly on the altar. He surrendered to God as well as dad. There's two worshipers. It, it's the same thing later on when Jesus would say that no one takes my life from me. But I have laid my life down on my own accord by my, by my will. In verse 10, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to, to slaughter his son. And in the Hebrew, that word slaughter, it's the most vicious word. It, mean, it means human sacrifice. There's, ne there's never another time in Scripture that a loving father has been asked or been put to such a test. He was showing that he, he loved God more than anything. 
he was showing that, man, so many times in life, I'm telling you, it's just so easy, right? To get to that place to where if you're not careful, you'll love the blessing more than the blesser. You'll love the promise more than the one who made the promise. You'll love the gift more than the one who gave the gift. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And this passage was so real to me in 1994 when, when we got ready to come to Pueblo, Colorado, plant a church, and, and I left my mother and father and brothers and sisters and all of my relatives, and, and I had to make the decision, am I going to trust God? Am I going to obey Him? Am I going to follow Him? Or, I'm gonna, or am I going to love the relationships around me more than I love Him? And then verse 11 Genesis chapter 22 says, But then the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. In other words, when Abraham was speaking before this, he was speaking prophetically. When he said, son, God's going to provide a sacrifice. God's going to make a way. God's going to take care of this. Verse 14. So Abraham called the, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it, it shall, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This, this is the first time in scriptures that, that, is, that, a, that a substitute sacrifice is made in the Bible. And just, just as the ram died in Isaac's place, Jesus Christ would come. And Jesus Christ would die in our place for our sins. Verse 15, and the, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sands that are on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Abraham was being blessed because he put God first. I think Abraham and Isaac, when they came back down that mountain, can you imagine the joy that they had? There's, there, I believe that in some respects there's no joy than the joy of knowing that you left it all on the field. That you didn't hold anything back. That, that, you, that you gave your best. You gave excellent offerings. That's why James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under a trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I pray whatever God is calling you to do, that you just simply be able to hear his voice, Obey his instructions, give him your best, and then simply trust him. God has not promised this side of heaven to solve every one of our problems the way that we think they should be solved. God has not promised that, that everything is going to work out in this life the way that we think it should work out. This, this is earth, not heaven. And because we're on earth, there is pain, there is hurt, there is disappointment, and there is sorrow. But the ultimate deliverance 
is that one day as believers that we'll be in heaven where there's no more tear, tears, there's no more pain, and there's no more illness, there's no more heartache, that we are in a perfect place.